Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, let's give it up for the moms. We wouldn't be here without you. Thank you. Thanks to my mom, if you're watching online up in Michigan. Welcome over in Avon. Welcome online family. Welcome here in Brownsburg. Uh, Let's kick off with a little Mother's Day trivia. I've got some quotes from some famous people, and I want you to guess who these are from. This is a Mother's Day tribute from a celebrity who happens to be a Jesus follower. I'll give you some more hints in a moment. And he writes this, I'm so grateful to have had you as a mom growing up. You knew when to build us up and when to pull us back to earth. You gave us your every moment, and regardless of our struggles, we laughed every single day. All right, you guys can guess this out loud. I'm going to give you a few hints. Parks and Rec, Jurassic World, Guardians of the Galaxy. Come on, no one. Yes, Chris Pratt. That's right, the one, the only Chris Pratt, follower of Jesus in Hollywood. Could you imagine having a legacy like that, like raising a child who lives for Jesus like that? Uh, Here's another one. Quote, to describe my mother would be to write about a hurricane in its perfect power or the climbing, falling colors of a rainbow. Sounds very poetic. This is a poet, an author. Maybe you know her book, I Know Where the Caged Bird Sings. This is Maya Angelou describing her mom. All right, one more for you from the world of sports. Quote, my mom had to be selfless and sacrifice a lot of the time. I do a little sign on the court every time I make a shot. It symbolizes that I have a heart for God. It's something that my mom and I came up with in college, and I still do it as a reminder of who I'm playing for. Anyone know? NBA uh, four-time champion, nine-time all-star Steph Curry describing, isn't that pretty cool to think when he does that little sign after he makes a three-pointer, his mom, when he was a college student, figuring out, I'm a gifted athlete, what's my identity, a godly mom saying, well, let's come up with something that will remind you every time you succeed that it's because of God and for God. That's pretty cool. That's a great legacy. Here's one that you may know. It's a fairly famous mother's quote, and it says this, all that I am or hope ever to be, I get from my mother. Any any guesses out there? Any guesses? This is a United States president. Uh, Emancipation Proclamation set more people free than any other politician in history. Abraham Lincoln said this, all that I am or ever hope to be is from my mom. I wonder, have you ever slowed down in life to think, what will my legacy be? How will people remember me? Uh, Have you ever uh, paused to think, you know, 30 years from now, will the people who I touch in life, will they be better off because of my impact? Will they be more free? Will they be more prosperous? Will they have made better choices because of my impact on them? Uh, Here's the question for you today. If you could spend the rest of your life on earth, if you could live every day knowing with absolute certainty that you have locked in 
the highest legacy you could possibly have. A legacy that's guaranteed by the very nature and promises of God. Would you want to know that? Would you want to live that way? You could word the question this way. How can you forge a legacy that's worthy of being marveled at? Uh, some of those quotes from those moms, it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Think of the impact Steph Curry's mom had on him. Think of the impact Abraham Lincoln's mom had on him. That is a legacy worthy of marveling at. And whether you're a mom or a dad, or maybe you don't have kids at all, God wants you to be part of his plan in the world, and he wants to set you up to have a legacy that will be great in this lifetime, but that will long outlive this life. Well, how do we live in such a way that we know with a guarantee, not just a hope, that no matter what other people choose, no matter what changes in the world, no matter what evil I uh, come up against or how impossibly small I seem in this big world, I can have a legacy worthy of marveling at. We're going to find the answer in the true story of God's people when the nation of Israel had become slaves in Egypt. We pick up in Exodus chapter 1, and this verse might not seem really profound, but there's a lot in here. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. Now, this is going to be an evil order because this Pharaoh is a godless, anti-God world leader. And he has what seems like unchecked power. He owns an empire. He's using the Israelites as slave labor to build his pyramids. He has armies and he has slaves and he has servants. And then there's these two women whose names I've never been able to pronounce, and I'm not going to try to today. You can just read them there. <laughs> and in contrast to this world leader, these two women are slaves. They don't get to decide when they're going to wake up or what they're going to do. They don't have freedom. And within the, the slave hierarchy, their job is that they're birthing nurses. That's what a midwife is. So when a, an Israelite or Hebrew woman would go into labor, these two women were in charge of all the birthing nurses, all the midwives. And if you're to juxtapose these two, world leader with an army, two slave girls or women whose, whose names most of us can't pronounce, you'd think, well, the Pharaoh's going to have the bigger legacy. And in a similar way, Right now, God's people, until Christ returns, he says that Satan is in this world to kill and steal and destroy. And just like there was evil trying to persecute God's people at this time, there's evil in our world today. There's evil after the hearts and the minds of our sons and our daughters. The rate of suicide is on the rise. Moral depravity and just moral confusion is on the rise. And we can feel maybe as powerless as these two ladies likely felt. And yet we're going to learn from them how we can attach ourselves to the story of God in such a way that lifts us up above any world leader. I mean, right now, if you were to think, how could you have the most impact on society? Maybe you'd think, well, if I could be the, the CEO of TikTok or of Instagram, I could in, in, influence a lot of people. Or if I could be a, a senator or uh, maybe the president of NBC News or CNN, I could impact a lot of people. 
And sometimes God calls believers into those fields. But what we're going to see in this story is that you living the life God has called you to live, if you'll surrender to him, if you'll choose him, can actually result in a legacy that far exceeds some of the high positions in this world. Verse 16, here's what the Pharaoh says to these two birthing nurses. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. And if the baby is a boy, kill him. Why is Pharaoh doing this? Well, the reason is that uh, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, now outnumber the Egyptians by about 20 to 1. And Pharaoh starts to realize if these, if these people all get together and decide to overthrow us, they could. And so he decides to practice population control. He says, we're happy to have lots of slave girls. That's great. But no more boys. We don't want any future warriors. This is, you know, Pharaoh's design to persecute the people of God and keep them under his thumb as slaves. And in the same way, perhaps as a mom or a grandparent or just a person of God in our present society, you might look at the things that are leading so many people in so many dangerous directions and you might feel like, I have such little power. I have such little influence. But what we always have the power and influence to do is to revere God above any worldly system and to live out his plan for life, even if it costs us, even if it hurts us. Verse 17, this is what these two women do. Because the midwives feared God, that is, they revered God, they, they viewed God as above Pharaoh, and we today can view God as above any other force on earth. Everything else is temporary other than him. So because of their high view of God, they refuse to obey this king's orders. And they allowed the boys to live. I mean, think about the, the literal truth of this, of little newborn boys you know, cradling a newborn boy, that umbilical cord being clipped, and these women are the gatekeepers, the deciders. Do I obey the government that tells me to kill this baby boy, or do I let him live? And these two women who are going to have such a massive legacy because a whole nation is going to exist because of them, they decide they're going to do what's right in the sight of God. Verse 20, so God was good to the midwives. We've been learning the last few weeks that faith is not only the, the vehicle of our salvation when we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But faith starts there and then it continues. Faith is a dynamic relationship with God every day. God is alive and he's interactive and if you will express faith to him in action, he will respond to you. He will show himself faithful. And that's what he does for these two women. He sees their faith. He sees that it's risky. They're risking their lives. Pharaoh could just have them killed for disobeying. They're risking their lives to do what's right, to be part of God's story. And God was good to them. He took care of them even in that difficult situation and the Israelites, God's people, continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. 
So now those two women, and I wish I could pronounce their names, but their names are sealed in the word of God. Here we are thousands of years later. We don't know the exact name of that Pharaoh. I'm sure some historian does. But those two women, their names are sealed in here. And not only are their names sealed in here, but they change the course of history. This nation continues to thrive. And from this nation will someday come Jesus. From this nation, it'll change uh, the boundaries of nations. It'll change the human calendar. You talk about a legacy. God responds to faith in action. And so just like those midwives in Egypt, those birthing nurses, here's how you can be sure to forge a legacy that's worthy of marveling at. You do so by sacrificing to protect and raise God's next generation. This is about the most opposite message of the spirit of our age right now, because the spirit of our age is live for yourself. You only live once. Get as much as you can. Spend it all on yourself. Who cares who comes next? And the nature and spirit of God is to say, um, I'm going to pour out my life for those who will outlive me so they can have a better life than me. This is true maturity. This is true greatness. And these two women, they forged this legacy by sacrificing themselves to protect and raise God's next generation. And we're going to see that we can do the same today. In fact, that's part of what drew me to Connection Point when I moved here five years ago, is that this is a movement where I see moms and dads and grandparents and people who don't have kids going all in together to say, we will sacrifice to protect the next generation and to raise them for God. Well, at the end, we'll dive deeper into this story, but here in the month of May, we're in a series called Our Calling, and what this is is really we're just very simply putting forth what is your role in our calling as a church. So if you're here and you're our guest, um, you might not yet have a role in our calling, and you can just kind of listen in. But if you're here and you consider this your home church, I'd like to suggest to you today that God has a role for you to play in this movement and in our calling. Um, there's a little booklet on your seat. You don't need to open it right now, but there's a page in there that summarizes the three components of our calling. The first is to maximize and multiply. So that includes this location. It includes our Avon location, which multiplied out of here. It includes, last week we learned how God miraculously has given into our hands a location in Carmel on Keystone Avenue, a location that in commercial real estate we could never afford, but God has really miraculously given it to us. So we're multiplying locations. We're maximizing the people at every location. And then the part that we're going to really focus on today is raising the strongest generation. This has been part of our heartbeat for many years. It's been at the center of our vision for the last five years, and that's the part that we're going to talk about today. Here's a picture this last fall of our middle and high school students gathered here in this room for a time of worship and of learning about God. Uh, there's so many things that God is doing in the hearts of our young people, from our toddlers all the way up to our college students, our young adults in their 20s. And I really wrestled this week. There's so many stories and so many are emotionally compelling. But I picked this next story really because it just demonstrates that through your giving, through your serving, through your praying, 
God is answering our prayers and he's, he's capturing the hearts of our sons and daughters. And what I mean by, by that is this. Our aim as a church is to defy the national trend of people drifting away from Christianity and to raise sons and daughters who not only retain their Christianity as adults, but who find it as the center of their identity and they're passionate about it and they want to share it. Now, I don't know how well you know middle school boys. I was one once, very sporadic ADD middle school boy I was. I have a 13-year-old son right now. This next video, uh, this true story of a young man in our student movement right now, it might not seem to you incredibly remarkable, but to me it is because this is a young man who's choosing to follow Jesus in such a way that he's taking the language of his generation and he's using it to tell others about Jesus. Go ahead and take a look. My name is Ben Wagner. I've been at Connection Point for a few years now, and I heard this message a few months ago of Sean and Tony. What Sean was talking about that week was he was saying that anything you can, anything God has given you a gift in, uh, you can use that for God. And he gave examples such as athletes and other things that you wouldn't really see at what meets the eye to as something that can bring glory to God. And that really just got my mind thinking. If, I can, if he can come up with examples for that, I think I can come up with something for one of my talents. I had a previous YouTube channel where I would post NFL clips of, of like a, an amazing catch or like an MLB great dive, got diving play or a big home run or something like that. And I would edit that to, and like I would put music to it. I basically just got an idea from that to make a channel, a YouTube channel called Jesus Daily, where I basically would take clips from Connection Point videos and whatever the preacher said that week and take like inspirational clips and post them a few times a week. I watch the main sermon, there's a sermon on YouTube, and I watch that and if I see an inspirational clip or something like that or something that John or Ron or whoever the guest speaker record that and then I put it into the app on my phone, the editing app on my phone and I add music to it after putting it in like the vertical mode because the church mode is like this. And then I add music and subtitles so people can read it if they don't hear the right word. I actually started it for other people and I didn't feel like I would have impact on me. I didn't, that wasn't really what I was going for. When I'm making the titles even, if I make a title like God is good even in hard times, it just rings a bell in me like God is good even in hard times. And if I'm going through this, then it's still fine. It, like God is still good. And, things that I'm sending out to other people, it just brings a bell in me too and I think about it more too because I'm watching the clip multiple times while I'm editing it and seeing it and posting it and stuff like that. And I think that each lesson I watch each week and like all the times that I'm recording a clip or editing it, I think it just sinks in well and uh, it helps me learn new things about myself and about God and about others. And I had small plans for it, you know, I, I was hoping that, you know, it would reach a few people and that, you know, God would work through it and give some people like a brighter day or something. But, you know, he had bigger plans for that and he's actually got like changed a few people like just from watching the video. Multiple thousands of views on videos, um, multiple thousands of followers, things that I couldn't really control that I just put in God's hands and he worked through it. And, you know, I just got multiple comments saying like, I really needed this today. We're happy that God chose to speak through the video to them and this video spoke to them in a way that they haven't heard before because maybe there's someone out there who's just scrolling on YouTube and they've never heard God's word speak into their life because maybe they grew up in an atheist home. Maybe they saw it and they felt impacted by it so they started watching the other videos and it's just kind of just leads to bigger things and seeing one video on YouTube and then it leads to possibly like kingdom impact which is just something that you know God 
God had a plan for that I didn't, I couldn't really control. Every once in a while, there's a comment saying like, this isn't true, or if this was true, then why does this happen? I have to think to myself and like pray about like, do I answer this or do I just like, if it's like too much and I'm just gonna en end up in a whole thing, like a whole drama thing, then like maybe I, I, I just delete that one and be done with it. Or if it's something like, well, if this is true, then why this happened? Why does this happen? And I try to get some scripture in there. And, uh, John was talking about the, the best things in life come after like the hardest trials and stuff like that. And someone said like, on one of the videos before I started making clips of that video, of that sermon, why do bad things happen if, if God is good? I used some scripture and I used kind of stuff that John said, and I even put like, I put the link of um, the video, the sermon of, of next week, where John was saying the best things in life happen after the hardest trials. I used the example of like Jesus dying on the cross, that was like the worst time, but then the best thing happened where he resurrected, and I just gave examples like that. The biggest thing that could happen in this isn't like 10,000 subscribers or something like that. The biggest thing that could happen is someone saying, I was a non-believer before this, and I've watched several of your videos, and I've been a subscriber for the past few months, and this is, you're really, you've really changed me, and I've, I've gone, I'm going to church regularly now, I'm reading the Bible regularly, I'm praying regularly now. I think it's just, even if I, there's that one person, even if they comment or not, I think that's just the biggest thing that can happen, and the best thing that can happen. Yeah. So God is at work in the hearts of our young people. I want to say thank you to all of you who serve, all of you who pray, all of you who've given throughout the years. There really is a movement of God happening right now. And I believe it's the, the not the beginning, but I believe we're in a season that is a, kind of the start of a cascade of miracles over these next 25 years. And it's my prayer that 25 years from now when I'm 65 and hand off the baton, uh, that it'll be people like Ben, young men and women who grew up in our church, who will be the elders, who will be the pastors, not only that, but who will be the body of Christ here. And that someday I'm going to look back from heaven and, and you with me if you're a believer, and we're going to watch our sons and daughters, our kids, our grandkids, our spiritual sons and daughters, we're going to watch them outdo us in their faithfulness to God. And, and we, we sense in the culture that they're probably gonna live in more difficult times spiritually than we are. And so just like those midwives, we have this opportunity that if we'll sacrifice, if we'll go all in to raise them for God, then God is not gonna be limited by the difficulty they're gonna face. He's gonna give them the courage. He's gonna give them the ability to speak the language of their generation. And he's gonna use them. He's gonna protect them. If you open that little booklet in front of you, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing, but there's a, a page toward the middle that looks like this, and it's about this part of our vision, our calling, for our kids and students. And I'm just going to read you a little bit of it. We're investing our time and money so that today's CP kids and students will become tomorrow's Christ-centered leaders in central Indiana. Now, many of them already are today's Christ-centered leaders in their schools and at Purdue and at IU. But our prayer is that 25 years from now, if you look on the right page, today we already see this working in the eyes and hearts of our teens. But much more we will see it tomorrow. If we remain faithful over decades, we will see God raise up future leaders, starting in Connection Point nurseries, kids' spaces, youth gatherings, camps, and more. 25 years from now, today's CP kids and teens 
will be godly leaders across central Indiana, influencing business, influencing lawmaking, influencing science, engineering, culture, and more. We are raising the next generation of godly moms and dads, godly entrepreneurs and pastors for the glory of God, obeying God's command that one generation declares his work to the next. Now, that's a mission that I've given my life to. And I can't thank you enough, those of you who've responded to the call of God to, to kind of throw in with me on this of like, let's give our lives to this. I want to show you what this looks like in real life. Uh, this is a couple that met here in high school, Jared and Kirsten Shields. They were two Connection Point kids. And those of you who invested in Kid City, those of you over the years who've invested in um, giving here so that we have amazing student ministers and kids ministers, it's because of your investments that Jared and, and Kirsten both chose to follow Jesus, met here at church, both attended Brownsburg High School, and both chose to keep following Jesus through their college years and beyond. Here they are at their wedding, which was right here. They got engaged in the courtyard out in the back overlooking the pond. Every year they return and they take a, a picture together every year in the same spot. Here's one of those pictures. Jared studied to be a medical doctor. Kirsten studied education. And now Jared is really a servant leader in the medical community of Indianapolis, influencing you know, pediatric care for, for many, many people. Kirsten has been the Brownsburg High cheer coach for 10 years. And so here, I mean, this is exactly what we dream of and pray for and invest in, that kids who grow up here will choose to follow Jesus, will follow Jesus in their career and in their calling, and then they will start to raise up the next generation as well. Uh, here's their first kiddo. They've continued to follow Jesus here as a young family. And here's Jared and Kirsten this most recent Easter with their three kiddos and actually number four, on the way. And so, you know, to me, when I see Jared and Kirsten, what I see is the visual of what I believe God has for us as a movement, that there will be hundreds, actually someday thousands of young people like this who grew up at Connection Point, yes, in Brownsburg, but also in Avon, and now in Carmel. And that, that this will be a generation that we don't just raise to kind of be Christian, but they are so in love with Jesus that as they go off to college, they remain devoted followers of Jesus. And then that we have enough locations around Indianapolis that when they move back for a job, wherever they move back, we've got a location near them and they plug right back in or hopefully they never unplugged and they just continue building the kingdom of God. To do this requires thousands of us to each do our part, to have, to have this kind of movement that God is doing and for him to continue expanding it out into the future with our young people, as well as expanding it geographically around central Indiana, it requires each of us to sacrifice a, a lot like those birthing nurses. Well, let's be honest, we have, it's much lower risk for us, right? We're going to give up a trip to Disney World or give up getting a new truck or something. They were risking their lives. But the point is, if we will sacrifice our desires to invest into the work of God for the next generation, that's what locks in an eternal legacy. I want to show you a true story of a mom in our church and her husband, really, really cool couple. 
And I want to show you what their journey of doing their part in our vision, what it has looked like for them. Because as we've been learning leading up to this, God responds to faith in action. And for most of us, in very practical terms, to continue this vision of raising the strongest generation really requires two primary things. People who will show up and serve and people who will give financially. And ideally, a movement where more and more of us are doing both of those together. We're learning that when we sacrifice our time or sacrifice our money, God responds. He works in us and he works through us. Go ahead and take a look at what that looks like. When we first started coming to Connection Point, we, we weren't consistent givers. We just didn't make it a priority in our lives. Um, we also had very limited finances and so we thought that was a limiting factor in our generosity at that time. I'm Alex Barrett. I'm Amy Barrett, and we've been going to Connection Point for about nine years now. We gave to the church. We felt convicted from time to time, but it wasn't something we did consistently. Uh, and then when Pastor John came out with the greater things, uh, kind of challenging people to come up with a challenging number, we sat down and we talked about it. Um, we came up with a number that we didn't really think we could accomplish and was a much bigger stretch than anything we've ever done. At the time we had a toddler at home, I was only working part time, I was starting grad school, so by, by all accounts it wasn't really a great time to stretch yourself financially. I started thinking about how we were putting down roots in Brownsburg, definitely with having having a child here and wanting her to be rooted in faith and grow up in a strong faith community. So investing resources in, in the next and hopefully strongest generation was very compelling for us. When we made our Greater Things commitment, we drew a, a brick wall that you know said Greater Things on it, and every brick represented $25. We were able to involve Harper in that with her coloring each brick. When we would give a, a tithe or, or an above and beyond gift, she helped us color in that brick wall and, and we were able to explain to her what that meant. And, and I think for, for us that was an important part as well. And, and with Greater Things, it was an investment in, in the next generation and we really see our daughter as that, as that investment um, and, and we want her to understand generosity and what that looks like and what it means. When we were discussing what we would, what we would commit to for greater things, we had the conversation that giving in consistently wasn't bearing any fruit. It's terrifying to give such a, a big sum of money when you've had a scarcity mindset. It was a challenge, but it was also like, let's not do the same thing we've been doing for years and years that really hasn't, hasn't done anything in our lives. If you're living generously and you, you get used to living that way, it just becomes natural and you start seeing 
need that you never really noticed before. We bought this new house that has a lot more square footage than, than our last house, and we have opened up our home to a friend. Alex shifting careers, that has really helped open doors for me to deepen my work as well and for us to both serve in the community together. Had we not shifted our perspective to live more generous lives, I, I don't think that we would be we would be doing that now. That's been the biggest thing. We've seen tangible impact from generosity. We've seen God show up financially when we didn't know how we were gonna make it. He's been there for us. So Alex and Amy, that's a story that happens here every year. It's a story that me and Mel lived and, and continue to live. And I know for some of you, it's like, I cannot imagine ever doing that. Uh, what we're inviting you to do here in the month of May is to take your next step, whatever it is, on your generosity journey. It's not any kind of emotional manipulation. It's not any kind of you have to do this to please God. It's this reality that where our treasure goes, our heart follows. And if you'll start to choose to say, God, I'm going to put some of my treasure into your work, your kingdom, you will start to see your heart follow. And I don't know a single family, and I've been doing this now for almost 15 years, who has started to do that who years later doesn't look back and say we're better off, better off in our marriage, often better off in career, oftentimes surprisingly better off financially. But this isn't some genie in a bottle thing that you manipulate God, but you will see his faithfulness when you step out. So if you turn to the back of that booklet, let's all just pull this out, even if you're like, I will never give to a church, I don't believe any of this stuff, just pull the card out with everyone else so that you know, everyone feels good. There's this yellow card at the very back. It says, Our Calling. And if you open it up, you're going to see this, My Step of Faith. Now, as I mentioned before, if you're our guest, we're not, we're not trying to get your money, okay? This is for those of us, we're in the middle of a series as a church of saying, what's our calling as a movement? So for those of us who call this church home, we're each praying about between you and God, what is your step of faith? And these first four boxes, I believe if you're seeking God and you're wanting to grow, if you've received him as your savior, one of these four is your step. And perhaps it's that very top one, to begin regular sacrificial giving. You heard that in Alex and Amy's story. They were giving occasionally. But when you really slot it in and you say, every month we're going to give this much. In other words, we value God as much as we value Netflix and our car payment and our rent or our mortgage, we're just going to, all those things are monthly, they're locked in, so we're going to lock God in. That is a huge first step. And for some of you, that's, that's your step. Others of you, you've been doing that, and you've seen God show up. You've seen his faithfulness, and so it's time to increase closer to that 10% target. I won't teach it all today, but there's this kind of idea in the Bible that 10% is a great goal of giving 10% of your income back to God. Uh, in fact, most of the families I know who give 10% back to God, we, we all had to work up to that. But most of the families I know who are in that position have no debt other than a home mortgage and, and are very financially free because there's this thing of when you bring your finances under God, um, he starts to really bless and, and provide and you actually start to make it go further. And anyhow, 
Next step, third one, would be hitting that 10% mark. Some of you are, you've been inching your way up, and, and as God has opened this door for us to expand our ministry, I mean, you can see here, if you're in Brownsburg, like we're out of seats, and this is what happens at this location. We'll, we'll grow, and we'll hit a ceiling, and then the parking lot's so crammed, and we just kind of then drop back down because people don't want to wait for an hour to get out of the parking lot. So for us to keep growing, we have to start multiplying. That's why our Avon location, we started a year ago. It's growing. Uh, and we've been looking for a building for the Avon location, but then uh, door hasn't opened there. And then all of a sudden, God opened this door in Carmel. And uh, if you missed it last week, we're looking in this next year to raise about $4 million above our usual budget, specifically to remodel the location in Carmel. And as I prayed about that and asked God to provide... I was asking God to put it on the hearts of a few families in our church to put up the first two million so that the rest of us, our giving could be matched. And that happened. So if you missed that last week, it's like a miracle. So the first two million of that four million is already committed if the rest of us will do our part. So if you think about like, could you increase your giving by 100 a month or 200 a month? It's a different number for everyone. Some of you, you're here, you could write a check for 30000 and it wouldn't even affect you. And so do it, okay? Others of you, it's like, absolutely, yeah. Others of you, it's like, man, to do 100 a month, it's going to be a major sacrifice. When you think of the $2 million more we need to raise, how many families are going to need to do 100 a month? Like thousands, right? I mean, that's 1200 a year. That's a drop in the bucket to $2 million. But if each of us do what God has entrusted to us, this movement will continue to move forward. So some of you, that's that fourth category. You're already giving 10% of your income regularly to God, and it's making a one-time stretch gift toward this $2 million match. And please, please let the Spirit of God speak to you on this. Now, what we want to ask you to do with this card, you don't need to fill it out right now, but I do want to ask you to fill it out in this next week. Because a week from today, we're hoping to collect these. And you see there where the dollar signs are, that second line, my expanded generosity. So let's say, I mean, be honest, the first one, let's say it was a zero for you, but you're going to expand it. You're going to start doing 100 a month, so it's 1,200 in the year. That's what would go in there. And then our chief financial officer, our accounting team, will tally up all of those from all of our people with the hope, the goal, the prayer that we hit that $2 million mark. And, and we won't if, if we don't all make a sacrifice. Mel and I have been praying about what can we do. Um, we already give more than 10% now. We, we saw God bless us. When we started giving 10%, <laughs> I'm going to make this short, but um, it was when I left my job as a journalist and we took a pay cut to be a pastor, and then the church we were at, they start saying, teaching me you need to give 10%. We're like, we, we're making less than we were before. Now, the way God was faithful to us was that then my, my first book came out a year or two later, and with it from the publisher came this windfall of money that I never would have imagined, and that book became a bestseller. This is back when we lived in Arizona. We tithed on that 10%, and then we invested the other 90%, and God, through that investment, has been incredibly faithful in ways that here we thought we're making this big sacrifice. Now, it'll look different for you, but what I'm telling you is this. If you'll sacrifice, if you'll step out to be part of what God's doing, he will show up and be faithful. I'm not saying it'll be the next day or the next month, but he will be faithful if you're doing this from the heart. I, in fact, I'll go as far as to say this. I've never seen someone 
truly do this from the heart, stick with it for a year, and look back and regret it. And so if that happens to you, if you put down a commitment and you give from the heart, and a year from now, you look back and say, that was the worst decision we ever made, then here's my word to you. It's recorded. Just call us, and we will refund your money, okay? I, I totally mean it. I'm I have so seen this in my life and in the lives of other people. I'm so confident that you will experience God if you're doing this from the heart. So next Sunday, we're hoping to collect these. Next Sunday night at 6.30, so May 21st, 6.30 p.m., we'll have a special event in here. If you can make it, it'll, it'll kind of be a historic event. Uh, if you can't make it, that's okay. You can hand that card in anytime through the week or next Sunday morning as well. Here's the bottom line. We're doing everything we can to give life to God's work in the next generation. You know, I used to, as a pastor, tremble about talking about these things because people hate to talk about money, you know? Why? Because it connects to our hearts. Jesus was right. Where our treasure goes, our heart follows. I no longer tremble about it because I've so seen it change my life, and, and I so see what God's doing through us as a movement. I mean, you see Jared and Kirsten Shields. You see the, the young man, Ben Wagoner. Like, God's doing this thing, and he's doing it because of gifts given to him by faith. God sees us collectively, and he responds. Well, those birthing nurses, they defied the government orders, and God responded to them. Let's pick up on that story. I'm just going to wrap it up real quick. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. Pharaoh sees that they're not killing the boys, and he's mad. Maybe they don't have the guts to do it. Let's just make it real simple. Just throw them all in the river, but you can let the girls live. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Would she have been able to keep this son if it wasn't for those two midwives, those Two birthing nurses? No, her son would have been killed. But those two nurses, with their legacy, are why this little boy's going to live. The mom saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. She's trying to hide him from the Egyptian soldiers, but he's crying and making noises like babies do. Verse 3, when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds, waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds. So she doesn't just push it out into the Nile River. She's laying it in a place where it's going to stay safe. And, and then she tasks her daughter, the baby's sister, with kind of keeping watch. Well, the daughter's out there, and one day the basket's out there in the reeds, and the sister's watching, and here comes Pharaoh's daughter to bathe in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter gets closer and closer. And, and the, this, this little girl's thinking, oh, no. When she finds my brother, she's going to kill him. But when she opens the basket, she oohs and she ahs. And, and she's like, look at this little baby. And so the sister goes up to him. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother, quote, take this baby and nurse him for me. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Now there's Jewish tradition that around this time when the moms would nurse their baby boys living under slavery, 
it looking like there's no God who can show up and help, that they would whisper in the ears of their little boys and their little girls, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. It might not look like it now. The culture we're in might be totally opposed to it. But as a mom, let me just whisper this into your heart. Yahweh is God. One day he's going to deliver our people. Verse 9, later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, they probably would have nursed to an older age than we do in our culture. So, So this little boy would have heard stories from his mom about the faithfulness of God and the power of God. And and it so shaped him that he realized, I'm called, I'm created for a purpose. My God is a deliverer, and my God is going to work through me to save his people. So this princess adopts this little boy. She names him Moses, which means I lifted him out of the water. This little boy who should have been killed but he lived because of the sacrifice of birthing nurses. This little boy who had a mom who felt like, how could I stand up to the Egyptian empire, but with courage whispered, Yahweh is God. And today we whisper, Jesus loves you. God has a plan for you. You have an identity. You have a purpose. You're called to greatness. God's gonna use you as a leader. And when we'll whisper those things and when we'll sacrifice for the next generation, God will always be faithful to raise up the next Moses, this little boy who will one day stand in the presence of Pharaoh and, you know, stomp down his staff and say, let my people go. And God will miraculously pour out his spirit on Moses and Moses will stand in front of a Red Sea and it'll miraculously part. And more than a million of God's people will be delivered out of slavery and led to the promised land through this one little boy who never would have existed without the sacrifice of people who were willing to obey God. Do you realize there are baby Moseses right now over in our Kid City Nursery? You realize there are baby Moseses over in Avon? I love it that in Avon, you know, last summer there'd be like, eight or 10 or 12 kids. Now they have like 70. And God's gonna do the same thing in Carmel as we invest over there. It's gonna be 20 kids and then it's gonna be 70 and then it's gonna be 500. And what God's gonna do is he's gonna raise up this generation all around Indianapolis, two million people to reach. How do we reach a state? How do we change a state? We raise the next generation of its leaders to know and love Christ and to live like Moses And we encourage them, hey, go wherever God calls you, but we want you to move back to the Indianapolis area. We want you to be leaders here. And we want to see God use your generation to change our state. Sacrificial faith in action does these four things. It produces future leaders. It changes a generation. It changes a nation. So many people want to change the nation through politics or through media But to change a nation, you have to change what the people believe. Sacrificial faith in action can be the salvation of the people you love the most. You have no idea how God will use other people in this movement 
to, to minister to your own sons and daughters, to your own loved ones, people that you're trying to get through to and you can't, and then you invest in someone else and God uses them. Sacrificing to raise a godly generation that will outlive you and that will honor God after you, this is the greatest legacy that you and I could possibly have. And so that's my invitation to you uh, today. I want to do something a little different. If you guys want to stand with me, I'm going to just pray something over you. And once you're standing, if you just want to close your eyes and, and just you and God connect. I know there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of fear and insecurity around some of the things we've talked about. But right now, if you would just ask God, God, show me what my role is. Where am I supposed to serve? What am I supposed to give? When the dust broom of time sweeps over the human story and the heavens and this earth are melted down, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth to be enjoyed by all who are in Christ Jesus, the only legacy that will matter is that of the faithful. Faithful to what? To God himself. And faithful to his command that one generation declares his faithfulness to the next. The unbroken chain of faith from Abraham to Joseph to Moses to Jesus to us today, to our kids and our spiritual children and our grandkids and their children. Jesus once said, when the Son of Man returns at the end of the age, will he find faith on earth? He will, but it will be a remnant who were trained to stand for him when it isn't easy, to choose him in difficulty, to lay down comfort and convenience for God. And just as Moses was trained, so we are training up our own. May God show you what you're called to give, or how you're called to serve, as you lock in your legacy in his eternal plan. Lord, may these things be true of us. Work in our hearts. Move us towards self-sacrifice and surrender into your work. Lord, we pray over our sons and daughters. Protect them from evil. Lead them in your paths. Lord, no matter what they face in this world, would you root them so deeply in you and use us to root them in you so that they'll stand like Moses so that they'll outdo us in their faithfulness to you. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, happy Mother's Day. Thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs> well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that 
and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.